This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hey everyone, as part of our continuing summer series, we're looking back on some of our previous episodes. Last year, I chatted with food rescue hero, CEO and founder, Leah Lizarondo, about her app that acts like an Uber or DoorDash for surplus food. In case you missed it, we wanted to share some highlights from that interview with you. Well, welcome to the show, Leah. I'm so happy to be here and see you in person. Yeah, so we talked... uh, (laughs) Ish, right. Yeah. I mean, we talked about a year ago when Food Rescue Hero won the uh, the apps category for World Changing Ideas in, in 2020. But great to reconnect and talk a little bit about 412 Food Rescue. What is the 412, by the way? Can you kind of break that down for us? Yes. So 412 Food Rescue is a local food recovery organization that's based here in Pittsburgh. And it's the organization that I co-founded you know, one of the reasons was really to pilot the Food Rescue Hero platform, whose vision was always to work globally in cities to facilitate food recovery. And most of the work I'm currently doing is focused on that platform currently. And the 412 is a, is a nod to Pittsburgh, right? Correct. It is our area code. Leah, can you kind of give us a little bit of background about hunger and, and food security in America and what you're kind of trying to solve? Yeah, well, there's many ways to give a background on that. I think um, one of the best ways I try to frame it is, you know, my own perspective on, you know, coming from and growing up in the Philippines, where, you know, poverty is endemic, and the dichotomy between those who have and those who have not is obvious every day. It's inescapable. And, you know, immigrating to the United States as an adult, as a first generation immigrant, And, you know, understanding then that, you know, 40 million Americans were living in poverty and food insecurity. And on the other side, you know, in 2012, reading that, you know, America is throwing 40 percent of its food supply in the garbage. So coming from a country where we ate everything nose to tail, root to stock before it was, you know, a trendy foodie thing, that, that disconnect was I couldn't I couldn't understand that. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that 40% of our food is wasted. So, you know, you've said in the past, it's it's not really a supply problem. It's a distribution problem. Is that right? Right. So I think most of the conversations that, you know, we hear, I mean, not quite so recently, things are very different now between 2015 and, and, and the present. It has always been around, you know, how to feed the 10 billion, how do we more efficiently farm? How do we get better yields? Which are relevant conversations and and conversations we need to have. But what's being ignored is the fact that if we don't solve a fundamental problem, you know, whatever gains we have in production is automatically discounted 40%. And then in the present, you know, we have this 40%. And what are we going to do about it? You know, you've talked about harnessing technology for the public good. And so 412 Food Rescue is kind of an example of that, right? Correct. So that is the whole intent with Food Rescue Hero. Mm. We have this attitude primarily that when we are serving people who are in need of support, 
if we offer the product, that is enough and they will come and get it. But we all know that's not true. That's not true for anything. Technology allows us to facilitate the ease of this exchange. And, you know, the biggest expression of that where we are is, of course, you know, delivery logistics. And it's not an innovative idea on its own, but its use is certainly something that no one has ever done. So can you kind of walk us through how the platform actually works? Yes. So it's essentially like as your headline described then, and I'm sure our friends at DoorDash (laughs) are tired of it, but it's the easiest (laughs) analogy. It's the DoorDash for food recovery. It's the DoorDash for the food insecure. And what it does basically is it connects sources of food surplus. It could be a restaurant, a supermarket, a university, an event. And taking that surplus and matching it with either a nonprofit that serves individuals and families experiencing food insecurity, or during COVID, what we've enabled is actual home delivery to an individual who actually needs the food. And then this is facilitated through a network of thousands of drivers that go from, you know, a retail location to either a nonprofit or a home. But I think the biggest difference, which I call the magic sauce, and also quite sometimes the most unbelievable thing about it is that all of these drivers are volunteers, volunteers who are performing at a higher reliability rate than some commercial services. So this app is the Food Rescue Hero app, which won our World Changing Ideas last year. Um, How can people sign up to volunteer on that app? So currently, the app is available in 12 cities in the US and Canada. And you, if you're in one of these 12 cities, you download the app, you sign up to become a driver, and you will get push notifications, just like a delivery, any delivery driver, of opportunities around you. And you can pick one that's convenient for you. You can turn on the app whenever you want to. It functions the same way as anyone driving for delivery um, does it now. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. And and what's kind of the advantage of this kind of small scale method, you know, individual cars, you know, versus big old delivery trucks? Oh, my goodness. I could talk forever about logistics. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of advantages. So the problem with food waste at retail is that it is, you know, a sometimes unpredictable. B, it comes in relatively small amounts. If you go to a Starbucks, it's going to be probably two boxes of the sandwiches that they had that day. And so deploying a truck to get these small instances of food surplus, you know, is, is very costly. And this food is also, you know, not sorted in pallets. It's not one kind of food. It's very, you know, the variety is wide. So trucks are ineffective. And on the other side of that, you know, when you look at populations that are food insecure, you know, we discount the fact that many who are in poverty have also very, very low mobility. And so when we go back to how we traditionally intervene on food insecurity or any social services for that matter, it is a highly concentrated hub and spoke model which is great for people like me with cars and great for uh, those who happen to live in areas where there's high frequency transit. But then when you think about it, you know, when you take a bus to a food pantry and you get a box, 
there's a couple of things you have to think about. That box is probably about 15 pounds. And I, you know, you've ridden the subway. I've ridden the bus and the subway. I am not, it's going to be very hard for me, you know, an able-bodied person to carry 15 pounds. And I used to live in, um, you know, in Cobble Hill where the next, you know, bus stop and the next subway stop is at least a mile away, either way. Mm -hmm. And so I had a 15 minute walk from either, you know, the two or three or the F. So it's, it's impossible. It's not, you know, when we talk about human centered design, you know, this is not actually reaching people or considering how they live. And so the advantage of the network on the one side as being able to recover even the smallest quantity of, of food surplus, it is also able to go to areas where a truck can't because, you know, it's one car. We can send that car to a home in the same way that my groceries get delivered to me. We can send it to a housing, a public housing community that only has one bus line going to it because unfortunately, Lots of public housing in many communities are built in very isolated areas, and it can serve the senior who certainly cannot carry a 15-pound box for a mile, right? So there's an unprecedented possibility of reach that wasn't possible before. And then one of my favorite things to talk about is that when a volunteer Mm -hmm. can't make it that day, there's thousands of other volunteers waiting to take that job. And so it's so resilient. The cost of it is just so cost positive. There's so many advantages to it. It's a true, beautiful network problem. What are some examples of some places where volunteers might be picking up food? And, and what kind of food are they picking up? Yeah, so they pick up from grocery stores. Grocery stores have surplus every single day. It could be, you know, the banana that's not green anymore, not quite mottled yellow, you know. But mm-hmm. one thing I learned throughout this process is that people don't buy yellow bananas. They buy green bananas. And that's right. very strange. So or <laughs> even if it's, you know, just turned yellow, you know, that banana is going to be lonely. And so the <laughs> groceries know this. And so they give that away so that the next day there's only green bananas on the banana shelf or, you know, the last pieces of kale that won't last, you know, a couple more days. It has to look absolutely fresh. So those are the things or the bread, day old bread. I eat bread that's more than a day old because when I buy it, I certainly don't eat it all the next day. But supermarkets don't sell day old bread. And if they do, they sell it for another day at a discounted rate. And then at that point, they won't sell it. So all of these things taken together is perfectly good food that we eat at our houses every single day, but for some reason can't be sold. And then they're taking that food to nonprofits that work in in this kind of food insecurity space, right? Can you talk about these nonprofits a little bit? In the beginning, you know, we only distributed to traditional food pantries. There was actually a point where we had so much food that the food pantries in our region were saying, we can't take any more. And I remember our team, you know, our very small team looking at each other and asking each other, they can't take anymore. What does that mean? Does that mean hunger is gone? <laughs> We've eliminated hunger. <laughs> but it's not really that. It's it's the right. fact that, you know, because we've limited ourselves to these outlets for food access, it was actually creating an artificial bottleneck where we thought, okay, we can only distribute to these. But, you know, when we talk to other nonprofits that serve populations who are experiencing food insecurity, but may not be delivering that direct service. And we ask them, okay, so, you know, you are a housing community or you are, you know, a community health center. If you were to receive, you know, a daily delivery of food that your clients can take home after they've, you know, accepted your service or, 
even in the housing community where they live, would you take it? It's free. And 100% of the time they would say yes, because they know that, you know, these are comorbid factors. You know, when someone is going to a community health center to receive free health care, you know, that means they are in poverty. And, you know, coexisting with that is hunger. So food actually gets delivered now to not only traditional food pantries, but any social service organization. And that, again, because of that, you know, our reach has extended and has allowed many people to access food support than ever before. Leah, it was it was great having you here. Uh, thank you for your work in the space. And, and it was great to catch up again. Great to catch up with you, Talib. <laughs> 